0: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti welcome to Out to Lunch. When we talk about healthcare, we're usually thinking about one of two scenarios, getting treatment for everyday ailments like the flu or catastrophic illnesses like heart disease or cancer. For these eventualities, we expect to be taken care of by health clinics or hospitals that are generally part of a large health system. But there are other types of health care that fall into specialty areas that are cared for by small private clinics. My guests on Out to Lunch today have these kinds of standalone specialty health care practices. Sarah Regan's clinic is called NOLA Pelvic Health. Sarah focuses on physical therapy for women, specializing in the treatment of pelvic floor, muscle dysfunctions, including pelvic pain, bowel and bladder dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, and pregnancy and postpartum recovery. Sarah, welcome out to lunch.
2: Thanks for having me, Peter.
1: Dr. Lena Joseph is the founder and CEO of High Level Speech and Hearing. High Level Speech and Hearing has two clinics in New Orleans, both of which focus on hearing services like hearing aids and treatment for tinnitus, and speech services, which is speech therapy for children and people of any age with communication difficulties. Lena, welcome to Out to Lunch.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Now Sarah, NOLA Pelvic Health is the only medical clinic in New Orleans dedicated to women's pelvic health. Besides your brick and mortar clinic, you also have telehealth patients who you have consultations with online. And you also have 18,000 followers on Instagram, which is huge for a medical practice. So it seems like this is a slice of women's health care that is underserved. I believe to some extent that's because the conditions you're treating are things that women generally might not be comfortable talking about because they don't realize really how common these issues are. So what kind of symptoms would a woman be experiencing that would lead her to a pelvic health specialist like yourself?
2: So often what I see are um, issues with bowel issues like constipation, fecal incontinence, which is leakage of stool. You know it's
1: a perfect lunch show, don't you?
2: This is common dinner table conversation for me. So Um, other things are leakage with exercise um, after having children, and then often also postpartum recovery, which includes returning to intercourse after having babies, um, exercising after babies often I think that these are issues that women are speaking about, and we're even going to our healthcare providers, but physical therapy isn't often seen as a treatment for them. So that's what really differentiates this practice, is it's a physical therapy practice for these common conditions. I've
1: been hearing a lot about it recently, and these were uh, three women who had just had babies in the last year. So that must be a kind of a big chunk of what you do.
2: It is. And I think that women are becoming, mothers in specific, are becoming more proactive about their health care. They're going online looking for options and resources. And we're not just accepting welcome to motherhood as an option for these ailments, which is, you know, what we unfortunately hear from some of our physicians and health care providers.
1: You know, I, I love looking at your background because your original goal was to be a trainer for the saints. That's right. You really have drifted. They, uh, right. And when they go to the website, people realizing you're wearing a striped shirt, which you could be trained. Maybe you wanted to be a ref.
2: Right. It was a, that all
1: that all could work out. No,
2: I did. I didn't think that I would go into this field, but, you know, as a woman, I think we're just naturally drawn to learning about our, our bodies, and then becoming a mother was a huge transformation for me, and even put me more in connection with what are women really looking for. I think the Instagram following is really a testament to how hungry women are for this information.
1: 18,000 followers. Right. That is free. <laughs> And your website—we might as well get this on the table. Okay, your let's do it. Your website is called
2: the Vagina Whisperer. Yes. <laughs> Which
1: brings us to Lena. Thank you very much for. Us. <laughs> the, okay, where did you come? Where did you come up with the name?
2: Yeah, I can't even take credit for it. I, a friend's mother in the Northeast, we know they're a little dicier up there, she actually came up for it when we were there for a 4th of July weekend. I would end up sitting around um, the hot tub with the elderly, you know, not elderly, but the older women, and they'd start asking me questions, and she just said, you're like the vagina whisperer, and so that's how it really came to be.
1: Alright, as in most New Orleans conversations, was there alcohol involved?
2: There may it was 4th of <laughs> July, I can't.
1: <laughs> uh, Lena, I'm personally very interested in the stock market. and One of the keys to making money in the market is to find a company that makes a product that maybe is not so popular now, but that everybody is going to want sometime in the future. For example, uh, if you bought Apple stock before they released the iPhone, you've done very, very well. I bring this up because not totally unrelated to the iPhone, a huge number of people under 30 are spending a lot of time with earbuds pumping sound, often loud sound, directly into their ears, which makes me think about buying stock in a hearing aid company, and that's probably a pretty good bet. Uh, As an audiologist, a person who spends her life focused on speech and hearing, what is your take on this? Are earbuds no big deal and perfectly safe, or are we creating a generation of people who are all going to have hearing problems?
3: So that's a great question. And it's definitely something that I've been asked more frequently now with our younger generation. That they always have the Beats headphones in their ears. They're always walking around. Of course, they're with invented headphones.
1: by Dr. Dre, who is a physician. So there you, so there you a, go.
3: There you go. Right? <laughs> 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 um, exactly. So uh, with hearing loss, um, it actually starts to arise later on in life. So it's one of those it, things. But it's where been our, compounding exactly exactly that's a way of putting it so the science behind it is just that the sensory neural hair cells—that's what we call them, right? The big name—they um, actually end up dying over time. So uh, that's why you'll see a lot of age-related hearing loss, such as what we call presbycusis. It all rise when people start to turn age 55 or older, um, and that's when they'll realize it. So I'm saying all of that to say that we really won't know until that generation oh. actually ages. Now, Elena,
1: where you are, um, do you, for instance, like do you sell hearing aids? Where you are, Is this, uh, and um, and how do you determine? I mean, uh, it's it's kind of a funny sale, right? Because you've got the initial hearing aid, and then they've got to every so often get a battery?
3: Absolutely. And there's even more to that because there's such a huge stigma, much like wearing eyeglasses. But, you know, our nice real t- retail industry kind of moved us away from having a stigma behind the eyeglasses with vision. And, Men don't make passes
1: you know. at women in glasses, right? There was a... Uh, so. I don't, heard right. that somewhere, but...
3: it, you know, it, it, glasses are much more accepted now than yeah. they had been in the past. However, hearing aids are still not but as they're accepted. so small
1: now, Lynn. Yeah, they're see so them?
3: much smaller. That's right. And, you know, because a lot of people are vain, <laughs> especially our older adults um, and children, too, because I have some children who are embarrassed, of course, uh, to wear a hearing device. But they have made them smaller. Um, and one of the other things is they do cost a lot of money. And unfortunately, a lot of insurance companies do not cover the full cost of hearing aid devices. Which is what I was
1: going to ask Sarah, too. What about, mm-hmm. you have a cash business, right?
2: I do have a cash-based business. Um, so typically, pelvic floor physical therapy falls under general physical therapy. So if you are on an insurance plan, it can be covered. However, in a typical physical therapy practice, we think of multiple patients in a gym, and we're seeing two or three of them at a time. So in this specific specialty, it's really not it's not you're not really able to see more than one person at a time so it's a private treatment it's one-on-one and that really works best in a cash-based practice I'm able to spend as much time as I I want with them an hour an hour and a half sometimes is one session and and
1: Lainey you've got two spots and two doctors, right? So you're kind of interchanging. Does that model work?
2: It it works really well, actually. So we
3: have two audiologists besides myself, so a total of three that are actually working in the practice, and then we have about seven speech-language pathologists that work, um, well, they float in between practices, so from the Uptown office to the Harrihan office.
1: Do you sit around at night thinking about a third?
3: Yes, we're actually in the process of creating a third office right now. Um, it's actually something that's really uh, closely on my mind, especially now because got some things to do with it. But super excited about it um, and making it what we call an adult lounge because of the fact that speech therapy usually floats around. You come and drink, and then someone puts something it's, in your ear. It's gonna be something very similar to that. <laughs>
1: no, I was that's bad because I was kidding. So they uh, they. <laughs>
3: Hey, very have to, similar have, to that.
1: Elaine, but, but, <laughs> I do have to ask you, when you're thinking of a third location, you don't have to give away where it is or such. What- What's the thinking behind that? I know it's not going to be just whim.
3: what's going to be? Sure, sure. So um, in the Uptown office, in the Heron offices, we noticed that about 90% of our population eventually became children. It's not that adults weren't coming to receive the services, and what we see frequently is that adults do put their care for their kids first, so they'll put themselves last, and usually they'll be the last ones to come to the office, or the later ones to come to the office and get treatment. But we just see so many, more kids um, when it, compared to the adult demographic. So we wanted to do something that would allow us to be able to have two separate offices where, you know, not looking at location, but more so of who we're catering to. So the adults could feel more comfortable. I remember when I first opened my office, I tell everyone, I started the office thinking that I would only see adults. And so I put really nice furniture in there (laughs) and put really nice pictures on the wall and had everything painted white and beautiful wood floors. Well, we ended up seeing our first several kids, and there goes all the wood panels on the floor, and there goes all of the beautiful white walls and crayon marks just became the norm. So, and, and it makes an adult feel a little bit uncomfortable when they have to walk in there and there's toys, like, everywhere. <laughs> and the kids are, like, screaming and yelling and then singing Pet Paw Patrol songs, right? <laughs> so we wanted to do something where the adults could feel comfortable um, yeah. and just come in, receive treatment, but feel catered to because they put themselves last.
1: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dr. Lena Joseph from High Level Speech and Hearing and Sarah Reardon from NOLA Pelvic Health. Now, Sarah, how do you get your your clients? i mean, I was thinking of uh, referrals, like at a at a hospital, but because they have a division, they're probably not likely to refer to you, right? Is that
2: right? Um, so it's a little mix. A lot of it so far, since starting in New Orleans, has been word of mouth. As you know, New Orleans is a very tight knit community. One of the things I love is they're really supportive of small businesses here, and so I think that. It's just really word of mouth and mom's talk. We work out together, we get wine together and so there's just a lot of conversation She's around. She's
1: doing this. it too. She's opening up
2: a bar I'm in telling the, you uh, that's So, nice. <laughs> <laughs> <the only laughs> so and, and you know, Google, I mean a lot of people are just going online looking for pelvic floor therapy and if you know, it opens up and I'm one of the options and um, you know, sometimes in hospital-based systems, therapists are buried under there, and this is—you know—I'm—I'm I'm the janitor, the secretary, and the therapist. So I call you back, and the—the the lines of communication are very open. So it's been—it's not been difficult, really.
1: Now, when you talk about, you do a lot of online consults, and—and do. uh, and I've done that for like, you know, a problem like an elbow problem, and I understand mm-hmm. how that works. But how does it work in this particular subject?
2: Right, and I get that question a lot. Is you know, how do you do a pelvic floor therapy session? online, and and a lot of it's education. So I'm just listening to what their ailments are, educating on proper things about um, postpartum recovery, how to prepare for childbirth, what's normal and what's not. Often women just don't even know who to talk to about these options, or they feel embarrassed, and this is, it's a little bit easier almost behind a screen for people and as you know with telehealth and online it's so convenient i mean i meet with them after my kids go to bed and their kids go to bed or i just did a session with someone this morning and they were at their office and i was at my home so it's just the convenience of it as a mom it's really difficult to make doctor's appointments so it's been really successful and just grown organically
1: wow do you think you'll expand
2: So I think with respect to the... You need a new you,
1: though. Right. (laughs) That's kind of the problem with this. Well,
2: um, there's actually a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists throughout the United States, and there's other here in in New Orleans as well. Um, So I think that, yeah, I'd like to grow not as much with my brick-and-mortar practice, but more so with my online practice. I'm actually onboarding two new therapists in September to start doing more telehealth sessions to help me keep up with it because the demand is high.
1: And, and Lena, one thing that interests me a lot of times with the guests is that they kind of came to this from a personal situation. Like, for instance, uh, Sarah mentioned when you had your son, you know, you're looking at that. And you had, uh, was it hearing or, or some speech difficulties as a kid?
3: Yes, I did. I actually had a lisp and I had a lower self-esteem and reduced confidence just because of it. And... Um, What my story is that I knew I had a problem at the age of four years old because they say cousins are your first best friends. Well, they are also your first bullies too. (laughs) And I just remember my cousins always teasing me because I could not pronounce the word strawberry. Interestingly enough, I actually dealt with the speech issue for about a good seven years. And finally, um, under the Jefferson Parish school system, because I am from here, um, I was able to get speech therapy. It only took three months of treatment before I was completely fine. And just imagine if that early intervention had occurred before the age of 12. What if it had occurred when I was four? Um, All of the bullying, the teasing, you know, that I did endure, the low self-esteem, I probably wouldn't have had to endure that. So that's my testament to what early intervention can do for a child. Lena
1: and Sarah, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You're sitting at your desk, returning a bunch of emails when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. Normally he only calls when he's going out of town and he wants you to look after his parrot, but this time it's (laughs) different. This time your brother has a business proposition for you. Sarah, your brother-in-law says your popularity online proves there's a potentially huge worldwide market for information about women's pelvic health. Obviously, you can't consult with every woman in the world, but you could make an online video course in pelvic health. Your brother-in-law says he can shoot and edit the whole thing, maybe 10, 30-minute videos, and put them up for three bucks each or maybe all 10 for uh, $25. He figures that on your social media presence alone, you could make maybe a half a million dollars in the first year. What do you say? You in?
2: Absolutely. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. I need that call from my brother in law, in fact. <laughs> that, so, and when
1: you're thinking about making that decision, um, what is it that grabs you about that?
2: In increased access and awareness. I think one thing is people are starting to increase their awareness that this type of therapy is out there for them. It's a conservative treatment. Um, it doesn't require medication or interventions. And the other thing is access. I mean, I think women, again, we're using workout videos from home. We're doing a lot of our online education now. Why wouldn't we have another another way that we can um, have self-care in the kind of at our fingertips?
1: And if you go do this in the next month, we will take. Yes. Uh, take, a, take,
2: a, take a piece of it. But it's, uh, <laughs> I've never had this idea, Peterson. <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: You know, Sarah, I was going to ask you one question about that. Is uh, we talk about you maybe not not in getting as many referrals as you would hope from a hospital or other physicians, but. Um, from time to time you must have to refer someone.
2: I do. So the the fortunate thing about Louisiana is we're what's called a direct access state for physical therapy, which means you can walk right into my clinic and say, hey, I need help without a referral from a doctor. If we're in other states like Texas, you typically have to have a physician's prescription for physical therapy to get treatment. So here in Louisiana, you can just walk right in, which is great. However, that means I'm also a first line clinician for someone. So I'm also screening for other issues like um, high blood pressure issues during pregnancy or possible infection or other things that could be going on that are outside of my scope and I refer out. I still have a great relationship with physicians in the community. Um, If they're aware of pelvic floor physical therapy, we refer back and forth. So it's, I mean, it's, I haven't had an issue with that at all. And it's really great to have that that collaboration with professionals.
1: And Laney, you're not going to get out of this. Your, your, (laughs) your (laughs) brother-in-law has a great idea for tapping into the 10 million tourists who visit New Orleans every year. It's a mobile hearing clinic like a food truck for hearing tests. You could park it outside clubs, and downtown on Frenchman Street, and people who are concerned about what loud music is doing to their hearing could get a hearing test, and you could probably self-fund the whole
3: operation by selling earplugs out of the truck. What do you think? A mobile hearing clinic? Good idea? It is a very interesting idea. Um, Something that we've actually tampered with a little bit in the past. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, there are a lot of additional expenses that come with having that truck. But But if you
1: sold tacos too,
3: (laughs) now that tacos are daiquiris, (laughs) so that would actually make it something worthwhile, I think. You know, I would
1: do it by the way. Yeah, because when your when your ears are ringing coming out, yeah, find out.
3: Yeah, and it, it, I, I like the idea because, um, in fact, I used to uh, work with the city, and we did something that was um, catered to musicians in the city, and we would go out, and I would actually be an educator, uh, Sarah Babcock was the individual, the city rep, who ran that program, and we would go to places like Chickawawa and we would actually talk to the musicians and provide them with information and not just information, but also noise plugs and an opportunity to get musicians' plugs because, of course, you know, it's really difficult to play an instrument if you can't hear your pitch. Um, so we wanted the musicians to have an opportunity to get hearing health so they can continue giving us that great New Orleans music that we're so used to and that we love. I had one other
1: question for you. It's, see, um, there's a... There's a regulation in Louisiana, right, where every school kid has to get yeah, a that's right. uh, like a speech and, and, and hearing exam. That's right. Do you
3: participate in that? We do. We actually work with several schools, and when I say several, I mean about 50 schools within the New Orleans area, um, and as well as Jefferson Parish, and provide the what we call, here's our mobile, our mobile on-site services. So we screen, um, provide Use them the with same information. Dark. There is yes, the um, yes. <laughs> There you go. <laughs>
1: Lena and Sarah, hearing speech and pelvic health are areas of healthcare that don't usually form part of the general conversation, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about them today. Thank you for everything you're doing for health and welfare in our community, and, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch.
3: Thanks, Peter. Uh, thanks for having us.
1: My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Sarah Reardon, owner of NOLA Pelvic Health, and Lena Joseph, Founder and CEO of High Level Speech and Hearing Center. You can find out more about Sarah's pelvic health practice and Lena's speech and hearing practice by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show was Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com. And its New Orleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. You can find more of Allison's photos at AllisonEmoon.com. Out to lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsNewOrleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style. On Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones-Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Sheward & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. Additional support for Out to Lunch comes from Basic Swim and Gym, Travel Central in Metairie, and Strategic Resumes mm mm-hmm.